The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. I'd like you to turn to 1 Peter 3. Now I think I'm going to start in 2. Let's start in 2.21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. How are we to follow? Good. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wise, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if they do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your pure conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and, not are, and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, this is the secret to a happy life, let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Dear Lord Jesus, we praise you today that you are here with us. And Father, we just ask that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit and open up the word to our hearts today. And Jesus, you know how utterly inadequate I am to break open this passage of scripture. So we're excited because the only one really adequate to do that is Jesus, you yourself. So we invite you to please come 
and that you would be our teacher and that your Holy Spirit would just open up the word, the living word of life to each one of us here. And that, Father, as we leave this place, we will know that Jesus has spoken to us by the power of your Holy Spirit through the precious word of God. And, Lord, we praise you for that. Thank you that we're not a people without hope. Thank you that we're not a people that don't know which way to go. Thank you that our Heavenly Father has given us direction and guidance and a blueprint. Lord, you're so kind to us, and we praise you. Thank you that you have our best interests at heart. Thank you you thought of the beautiful idea of marriage and family and homes and children and the love between a husband and a wife. Only God could have thought of something so sweet. And Jesus, we pray today that you would push back all our preconceived ideas. You would open up our minds to your truth. And that, Lord, it would penetrate through our defenses. And that, Lord, we might hear from you. And there's not a one of us that has that capacity unless you give it to us. So we ask today you might. Now, Jesus, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Create in us clean hearts. And renew a right spirit in us and in me. Jesus, so that your spirit will not be blocked today. And that we might please you. And we love you so much. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, I feel excited today about looking at the word and seeing what Jesus has for us. And I think... I've got my Greek New Testament here. Even though I do not read Greek, it has English written underneath it. <laughs> but some of it I thought we'd just read from here. So I'm going back. And if I go back to school, I'm going back and taking Greek. Likewise, wives, submitting yourselves to your own husbands in order, even if any disobeys the word, through the conduct of their wives, without a word, they may, or in parentheses, they will be gained, observing in fear the pure conduct of you, of whom let it be not the outward adorning of plaiting of hair, or of putting on of gold ornaments, or of clothing, but the hidden person of the heart, which is the incorruptible adorning of a meek and quiet spirit, which is before God of great value. So, for then, holy women of the past, hoping in God, adorned themselves, submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, of whom you became children, doing good and not fearing, no, with not any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell together according to knowledge as with a weaker vessel, um, assigning honor as indeed co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. And that that goes on in our homes has the potential to hinder our prayers and hinder our walk with God. So let's just go verse by verse. And if we need to, we'll refer back here to my Greek New Testament. Okay? Let's start, though, with the Lord Jesus himself. Okay? So what are, And this is review from last week. What are the characteristics of Jesus himself and what that we are to follow in his steps? 
First of all, and we see in verse 22, what is the relationship of Jesus Christ to sin? None. He committed no sin. I would say this is the supreme example of, the, of a holy heart. There is no sin in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, what about deceit? How much deceit did you find in the person of Jesus Christ? None. So in Jesus Christ, he is a holy heart, no sin. There was no deceit found in him. When Jesus was reviled, how did he re return that? He did not revile back. And revile is abusive language. When they spoke abusively about Jesus Christ, what was his response? He did not re respond in abusive language back. When he suffered, he threatened them. Is that right? No. When he suffered, he did not threaten. When you and I suffer, we threaten. Oh, are you going to do this to me? I'll get back with you, even if we don't know what we'll do. We just begin to plan right then. But Jesus did not threaten. What did Jesus do? Key phrase, key phrase. What did he do? My translation said he committed himself to him who judges righteously. What does yours say? He entrusted himself. He entrusted himself to God the Father, to him who judges righteously. And so that instead of he, was, he had no sin, there was no deceit in the person of Jesus Christ. When he was spoken to abusively, he did not respond in kind. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Instead, he entrusted himself to his heavenly Father who judges all things righteously, who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And this is what Jesus, Jesus committed himself to God the Father. This is what Jesus did for us. He bore our sins on the tree on the tree and Calvary and it is with his stripes that you and I are healed for we were like sheep going astray but now we have returned to our shepherd and he is the overseer of our souls and I have in my kitchen a picture great big picture of a shepherdess and she is holding a little lamb, and there is a mommy lamb by the side of her. And the flock is out here. And I love that example because what you and I are called to is to simply follow our shepherd. And as wives and mothers and many times as women, whether we're married or not, we are called to nurture the sheep or the lambs. And we don't know quite how to do that. And we don't know how to put our families together. And we don't know what we're doing all the time. But as we care for them, we just, and she's looking straight ahead. She just is following her shepherd. And not only in this chapter, but also in chapter 5, Peter puts it in the context of a shepherd. We used to be lost. We were astray. But we have returned to the shepherd of our of our souls who is the overseer of our souls so that I want you to keep that in the back of your mind we are not like a non-christian woman 
we have direction and we are to follow in his steps and if Jesus himself entrusted himself into the hands of the eternal God how much more are you and I in our relationships to entrust ourselves to Jesus now how does this spell out it says, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. And he has been talking about submission. Now, key way to, for me to help remember what submission is, one, the best definition I've ever heard is, submission is the freedom to lay down my own rights. It is a freedom that I can lay down my own rights. So that submission, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, that even though some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. And there is something in the concept of submission that it, does, that it means that God moves into my heart as I entrust myself to the shepherd and overseer of my soul. God moves into my heart so that I entrust me to him and I do not have to go into my relationships, especially into the most intimate one with my husband, with my dukes up and my walls erected. But because he is the shepherd and overseer of my heart, I am able to put down the walls and be vulnerable to him and to others because Jesus Christ is taking care of me. And it is another beautiful facet of what it means to walk in holiness of heart. So that you and I do not have to go in to make sure that we're not blindsided or that we're not knifed in our underbelly, but that Jesus can come and I can lay down my right to have to have my own way every time. I can lay it down and trust God to begin to meet my needs. Now, there are two sides of the submissive issue. One is where we think I must lay down and be a total doormat, and I cannot stand up for anything. And it's interesting that Peter writes six verses here to the women, because do you know what? He is addressing this. He only needs one in this passage to write to the men. Why? Because if the men became believers, what would happen? They could, the family would usually follow in kind. But here you have some women that with the preaching of the gospel have found Jesus Christ. And he doesn't say, just follow in kind. He is saying to them, let me tell you how to live, whether your husband is saved or not saved. And the key to it is not a lot of God talk. The key to it is an integration of God talk and God walk on a daily basis in your home. And the key to it is a love relationship with Jesus Christ so that first and foremost you go to him to get your needs met. And that you and I are not looking for that man to be the fulfillment of every unmet need in my life. And without Jesus, and even with Jesus, that is the natural consequence of a married relationship. Why did I marry you? I don't want to be alone. It's lonesome at night. Why did I marry you? I want to be safe and secure and somebody to provide for me. Why did I marry you? I want to have children. Why did I marry you? 
Because there's two incomes are better than one. Why did I marry you? I want somebody to hold me because I'd like to be held. Why did I marry you? Do you notice every single ones of why do I marry is because it is totally self-centered? There are unmet needs in my life that I want somebody else to lay down and give his life so that I can have those needs met. And there's no human being on the face of the earth that can do that. And Jesus is saying, I am the only one that can meet you. And if you and I are to be met, that is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I are to get our needs met first and foremost in Jesus Christ. And then let Jesus begin to move in our hearts so there is a consecration of outpoured love genuine love for those that live in our homes and genuine love for that husband that we share life with and I didn't see this for forever forever because our primary motivation is I want to be safe and secure and I want to protect myself so that it's very hard, even if you and I have been filled with this Holy Spirit, and we know Jesus is our Savior and our Sanctifier, it is still very hard for us to enter into a dimension of trusting in Jesus, where Jesus moves in and we let Jesus begin to meet the needs of our life. Now, I want to tell you, this is, a, this is on a, a very light level, but it's a very sweet level. I remember one time... Um, Esther Wong and I were praying together and she just loves Jesus very much and I was a younger Christian at the time and she said to me she said sometimes I don't bring things to Joseph first she said sometimes I just think take things to Jesus first because there's some whole dimensions of me that Joseph doesn't understand now have you ever found that in your relationship as well and she said so let me tell you about something and she said, do you know, I told him one day, I said, you know what, everybody is going to Gatlinburg. And I would like to take David and have us take a family vacation and go to Gatlinburg. And he said, well, I don't think I want to go to Gatlinburg. What would there be in Gatlinburg that I'd want to see? And she said, I didn't think there was too much in Gatlinburg you did want to see. But nonetheless, I wanted to go because everybody was going. So she said, I went to Jesus. I said, Jesus, Joseph doesn't want to go particularly, but it's on my heart, and I'd like David to see it, and I would like to see it. Is there any way you could work out a way that we could go to Gatlinburg? And then I heard everybody was going to Cracker Barrel. So I said to my good Chinese husband, I said, Joseph, Taiwanese, I said, what if we go to Cracker Barrel one night? He said, why would I go to Cracker Barrel when I can eat your delicious cooking? And she is a good cook. I don't want to go to Cracker Barrel. So she said, I went back to my little green chair where I talked to Jesus, and I said, Jesus, I not only want to go to, to Gatlinburg, someday I'd like to go to Cracker Barrel. I want to see what it's like. So one day we were, she just mentioned this. Well, a couple weeks later, she said, Beth, Jesus has answered. I said, what happened? She said, I went to see my girlfriend, that I, my college roommate. I go there quite often and spent a week with her over spring break. And I was getting ready to go, and her husband came out and said, Esther, don't go yet. Why don't you go home by way of Gatlinburg? We're going for the weekend. What if you and David just come with us? 
I went out to the car. I said, just a minute. And I went out and I said, Jesus, yes. And then I said, oh, I would love to go. And so he said, we went to Gatlinburg. We saw everything. We went up and down the mountains. We tried everything. We ate in the pancake pantry. We did everything you do in Gatlinburg. And we had a wonderful time. And she said, then I got ready to go. And he said, Esther, do you have to go yet? What if we eat supper? And we could go to this exit and you could turn off there. He said, have you ever eaten that Cracker Barrel? And she said, just one minute. And I went to the car and I said, Jesus, you even remembered Cracker Barrel. (laughs) And she said, we went to Cracker Barrel. And she said, do you know what? Sometimes some things that my husband, precious as he is, and he is, he's a godly good husband. He doesn't always understand some of the inner things in my life that aren't even needs. They're just plain old wants and desires. But she said, the thrilling thing is that as I begin to bring those to Jesus, they are like red roses that he brings into my life to let me know that my first foremost allegiance is to him and that the deepest desires and needs of my heart, I should not be looking here or there or everywhere, but I should be looking to Jesus to do what only Jesus can do in my life. And it is out of that kind of love relationship with Jesus Christ that there comes a joy in our heart, that there's a willingness in our lives to be able to lay down my desire to have to have my way all the time and to be able to genuinely love and meet the needs of the man God has given me so that I can submit. Now, not only that, we can submit to our husband's So that even if we do not say a word, they can see something in the nature of our hearts. I listened to a tape yesterday by John Oswalt, and he said the key thing in relationships with husbands and wives is does your husband know you love him more than you love yourself? And boy, that's a key phrase. Does he? Do we? Or is the bottom line in your life and my life me? but it's covered over with lots of Christian talk. A lot of Christian God talk. But does my husband know that I love him more than myself? And he said, that's what submission is when we begin to put another's interest ahead of our own and that we begin to trust Jesus that he will take care of us. Now, it does not mean here submission that we're not, we are not honest. Because it says that wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. And that means that there is a purity in your life and in my life. That our needs are being met in Jesus Christ and that our needs are not being met in novels we're reading, soap operas we're looking at, illicit affairs that we are engaging in, emotional attachments that we are engaging in that just have not crossed the brink of an affair yet, but they are meeting emotional needs in your life and in my life that are not right. God says that you and I are to be women and we are to be pure women. And unmet needs in your life that your husband is not meeting, you take them to Jesus and let Jesus Christ meet them. I'm to take them to Jesus and let Jesus Christ meet them. And there is no way that we are to get those needs met in an illicit, immoral, or an unholy way. And do you know one of the things the devil will say to you? 
well, God wants me happy. No, the bottom line God wants is you holy. Because that kind of happiness does not lead to happiness. It may for a tantalizing few days, few hours, but in the end it brings destruction, damnation, and ruin. And it never does it just for one woman. It does it for a woman in her own body, Corinthians says, when we sin against God and sin against our mates in our own bodies, but it does in our families, in our children, and the repercussions go on and on and on and on and on. And you and I need to have a purity in our lives in regards to sexual things, and the only way we can have a purity is if we are filled with the Holy Spirit. There is not another way, and especially in the age in which we live, There is no other way that we can be pure before God except we have a daily baptism of His Holy Spirit and God begins to put in our hearts a love for holiness of heart, a love for Jesus Christ above every other love so that we shun anything that smacks of sin and that there's a sexual purity in our lives. And He says that we are to be pure and there's to be a fear there. And what is that fear? It is a reverence for the eternal God. It is a reverence for the eternal God. What do you read? What do you watch? Who do you joke around with? You and I are to flee any appearance of evil. And there are some things we are not strong enough to touch. We need to run away from them. And there's to be a holiness in your life, in my life, and a sexual purity. And if there are unmet needs there, you need to honestly sit down with your husband and my husband. We need to share where we really are. If they can hear us, praise Jesus. If they cannot hear us, then you and I are to go to the eternal God and say, Jesus, these are unmet needs in my heart. You fill them with yourself. And what happens is an opportunity to know God in a way you would have never known him. Where you press into the heart of God and let God's spirit come in and meet you and I so we become free women. And women that have the hidden person of the heart, gentle and meek. Isn't that a beautiful, incredible way to put, who are you and I? Who is the hidden person in you? Who is the hidden person in me? The hidden person of the heart, the one known only to God, but you and I sometimes try to hide. If only he knew, if only God knew, God does know. And you know what should come out of the hidden person of our heart? It should come out a meek and gentle spirit. And he said, we should not get our needs met by impure behavior. We are to be chaste in our conduct, accompanied by a reverential fear for the eternal God and the consequences of sin. But then he says, we're not to have our outward adornment. And it's so easy to cover up and, and I do not think this is not a prohibition against looking nice. This is not a prohibition against wearing our hair well or wearing gold. Or, but what he is saying here is that cannot be an end in itself. And we can either dress so we're immodest and seductive, which does not please God. And it's a control and power play to get unmet needs met in my life and use and manipulate men. Or we can go to the other extreme so we put hundreds and thousands of dollars on our back because we're insecure and we want to be up to date and up to the minute and we want to measure up 
and so that our insecurity comes out in symbols, which is how we dress? He said, no, let your priorities be right. All that is transient. All of that is transient. And what I want to say to you is that that is eternal and is incorruptible and will not fade away is the meek and gentle spirit that you cultivate in your heart, in that hidden man, those inner choices, those daily choices that you and I make to seek God. And true beauty comes out of that kind of life. Have you ever known somebody that walked with God for a long time? We were on a retreat this weekend, and when, uh, uh, the, our hostess was Linda Boyette, and her mama came into the room, 80 years old. And, just as, and she had helped Linda get ready, and she was getting ready to go out, a, just a precious woman. And two of the girls sitting there said, you can tell that woman knows Jesus Christ and has walked with God. And all she did was pass through the room. But you could tell it in her demeanor. You could tell it in the sweetness of her face. You could tell it in the gentleness of her smile. It was 80 years of walking with God. And when you walked through, when she passed through, there was a witness that she had walked with God. And you didn't see someone 80 years old. You saw a woman beautiful in the person and presence of Jesus Christ. Because it's, it's something that doesn't wear out. It isn't something that we have to get afraid of getting older as we, get, as we move on to the next stage of our life. It is a thrill. You think I'm getting closer to Jesus, closer where I see him face to face. It doesn't matter if we change. The best is yet to come. So that you can, I can say to the women in the world we live in, as we get, as they get insecure, and I've, I can't, can I hold a man? Can I keep a man's attention? There's not that kind of fear, because what happens in our lives is there's a meek and gentle spirit cultivated in our hearts toward God. Now, what is a meek and gentle spirit? You know what? We live in an age of power politics. We live in an age of of how do I get my agenda pushed through and how do I manage people? And how do I get what I want by manipulating and managing others? And do you know there's absolutely none of that stomached in the Gospels of Jesus Christ? There is no way, he says, one person is to manage another or to have power over another person. You know what we are to have? We are to lay down our lives like Jesus laid down his life and in a love relationship to Jesus Christ be freed to, to give to others, not because of what it will do for me, but out of obedience to Jesus Christ and out of love for him. So that the essence of my life isn't lived to how to make me number one. The essence of my life is how to make Jesus number one. And so that the whole essence is how do we exalt Jesus and I will have to live my life and want to live it in obedience to him and out of love for him. So that out of that kind of relationship there is this meekness that is not something that is put on but something just flows out. You and I become meek. It's not something we do. It is who we are. It is a Jesus-centeredness instead of a Beth-centeredness that leads to another centeredness 
and a trusting and in, a trusting of yourself and myself to him to meet our needs. And then he said a quiet spirit. So that we're not having to make lots of noise all the time. That you and I can have a gentle quiet spirit. And that we can have a trustful, praiseful spirit. I read recently from the book by Gary Smalley of the power of the tender, a soft answer turns away wrath. And where he said one day he came home and he is he noticed that there was a whole part of the carport that was down. And it was on the ground. And he noticed that their trailer, their camper, had a hole in the back of it. And he noticed that something had happened. And he looked to the sky and he said there had been no storms. So he sat there and he said, I kept thinking, well, where did she get her license from Kmart? And, and then uh, my son was there. So he said, I was a little subdued. And he said, I turned to my son, Greg, and said, what do I do now? And he said, Greg, very wisely, looked me in the eye and said, Daddy, he said, why don't you do what you're teaching about in all those courses? <laughs> and he said, so I thought, well, maybe that's a good idea. So he said, I prayed in my heart, and the Lord brought Proverbs 15:1, a soft answer turneth away wrath. So he said, Lord, help me. And as I opened the door and got out, my wife Norma ran and started to cry and he said I kept saying Jesus help me and he said I put my arms around her and said honey I know you feel so badly about this but I am so glad you're alright and she just cried and cried more and then she said I'm so glad you're taking this so well because all the neighbors are watching your response <laughs> And they all know you teach those classes on marriage and family. <laughs> so he said, but he said, we stood there and the Lord met us. And he said, within moments, while we were picking, I was surveyed the wreckage. Somebody drove down and it was a contractor. And the neighbor across the street had alerted a friend who was a contractor and said, get over to Smalley's house. He's in big trouble and you need to help. And he said, by nighttime, we had gotten the things under control. And he said, instead of a week of separation and alienation of our spirits, those soft words had bound us together and the crisis God had used to draw us together. So that I think what we need is that we need God to sanctify our hearts so that we do say, Jesus, godly responses here. Not the normal ones that I have. And godly responses with our husbands. Godly responses with our children. Godly responses with our friends. So that we don't say, why did you do this again? But we can come and ask God to let us see it through their eyes. So that there can still be instruction, especially if it's children. But it doesn't close up what Gary Smalley calls our spirits to one another that take forever for God to open back up. A soft answer turns away wrath. That God wants out of our hearts to proceed a gentle, quiet spirit which is of great value to God.
And do you know, I think God wants to say something to this in regards to this because we can close each other's spirits up so much. And I think sometimes too, where it says Jesus did not revile so that when bad things were said to Jesus, Jesus doesn't shoot off his mouth back with the same abusive talk. And if you and I get into disagreements and discussions with our husbands, if God can help us that we do not respond back with the same kind of... But there's a sweetness and that God helps us to say the truth in love. And submission does not mean you do not honestly express yourself. And submission does not mean that Jesus will take care of everything. Because there are times you need to honestly say, this is where I am. I just want you to know it. I am not, I don't think where you think I am. Remember, Al and I were married about five years. And I just thought it was Christian if I just, if he hurt my heart, if I just didn't say anything, I just kept it in my heart. So I just said, well, Jesus will take care of that. And I'm sure he didn't mean it. So I, my heart was I, was, I was sincere, but I was sincerely wrong. And then one night, we were, just went out to dinner. And all of a sudden, he said something. And I mean, I let him have it. And I let him have it. And Jesus hadn't taken care of one of those things. They were just pent up rage inside my heart. And I can remember, I had dates, I had times, I had hours. I mean, it just, and poor baby, he just was dumbfounded. And I was more dumbfounded. And in my heart, Jesus said, there are some things you need to learn about communication that you have not yet learned. Jesus had no deceit in his life, and it is deceit. If you and I do not deal with the anger and the hurt spirit and the closed spirit and do not let God move in with forgiveness, and it is not so that it, we just say, oh, he's taking care of it, he's taking care of it. If it's not brought up and put under the blood of Jesus, it is not taken care of. It is a raging inferno inside your heart and my heart. And we need to get honest with God and get honest with one another and get honest with our husbands and say, Lord, I need to come clean here. My spirit's closed and it's closed because of anger and unforgiveness and I need you to cleanse me and purify me and set me free so that God needs to come in and set our hearts free and that we need to let him cleanse us and purify our hearts so that there isn't built up bottled rage. And if you take your word and you sit down, and if you feel that resentment and hostility in your heart, if you're really honest, say, Jesus, what are the root causes here? And let God begin to draw them out. And then bring them before Jesus and let Jesus begin healing. And say, Lord, th- what do I need to bring to my husband? What do I need to say here to get this out of my heart? And begin to let God give you guidance and direction so that some of that can be brought under his cleansing blood and so that you and I are free people. And we need to let God give our expectations of what we deserve and what we need to Jesus so that we can surrender our expectations and release our husbands from this whole idea of this is what he should do for me, this is what he needs to do for me, and this is what I deserve. 
All of those need to come under the blood because that's not motivation from a heart of love toward Jesus. That is once again a me-centered motivation that needs to be brought before God. And if our husbands aren't where we think they should be, do you know what Mrs. Ruth Graham said? It is God's responsibility to make them holy. It is our responsibility to make them happy. And that we are to begin to work with Calvary love to love and let Jesus love them through us, love through us, if we're not capable of loving anymore in our own strength. He gives an example here of women of the old. He says, For in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. And you know, how were they? They were holy women, and what was the secret of being holy? They trusted. They hoped in God. And in our relationships with husbands and children and in family relationships, there's to be a dynamic of we are going to Jesus first. We are trusting in him. And out of that, we, God is using that, that then we are to able to move in a right relationship with our husbands. And he gives an example there of Sarah who literally left all and followed Abraham. And in the history of the world, there had never been another husband like Abraham that just up and left her and went off into the wild blue yonder saying that God had called him. Now, some of you are in that very position. <laughs> all of a sudden, God called your Abraham. And here you are, you've gone across the wild blue yonder and you are not in Canaan, you are in Wilmore. And you think, how did I ever get here? <laughs> and he gives that as an example. Because sometimes you and I follow husbands and end up in places you do not expect to be. And once again, the dynamic there is to trust in Jesus. That in your act of surrender and getting there, that God can use that for God's glory and your best interest as well as the best interest of your husband and your family if you will trust him with it. Now all this I say in the dynamic that there is no place in scripture where God ever calls us to follow a husband if he asks us to lead, asks us to go into any form of immorality, immorality or any form of disobedience to his divine word. There's an allegiance in your life that is higher than your husband. That is to Jesus Christ. There's an allegiance in our lives that is higher than the government. That is to Jesus Christ. And so, there, so I, all this is in the context that God is not asking you in submission to violate what is written in his word. But what he is saying that if your husband like Abraham has led you in places such as coming to Wilmore and this isn't quite what you expected to do with your life, as you walk in obedience to Jesus Christ, Jesus can use it for your good and for his glory. But it also means that you have an advocate with the Father and that you can pray and it's kind of like where you release on one side your husband to the will of God. 
But on the other side, you hold on that God's will will be accomplished in his life and in your lives together. And God uses this to make you a woman of prayer so that you hold on that he will have a heart for God and begin and to seek him. And if he's not there yet, just keep holding on. Not trying to be God in his life, not trying to be the Holy Spirit, releasing him to what God has for him, but then at the same time, holding steady. Now, how you do that, it's not easy. But it's just getting hold of God in relationship that you can be as a couple all that God longs for you to be. It says, Husbands are to love their likewise, dwell with their wives with understanding. Giving honor to their wife is the weaker vessel. Uh, John Oswald did a beautiful job with this. He said, there's some ways, like most of the time, we're physically weaker than our husbands, like opening pickle jars and stuff. <laughs> but I mean, we outlive them many times by 10, 15 years. And certainly when it comes to childbearing, we all endure a lot more pain for the most part than most men do unless they've gone to war. So that I don't think it's meaning that. And I think Oswald put it, put a beautiful dynamic on what the scripture means here. He said, all of you know what it's like to have Tupperware in your house. We all have it. And we give the dog food out of the Tupperware, we put it in the top of the dishwater washer, we, uh, we put it in the refrigerator, the kids eat out of it and it falls on the floor and we pick it up, rinse it out and put it back in the cupboard. It said just there's Tupperware. It's strong. But then, what would you treat the same way a Ming vase that came from a Chinese dynasty that you do your Tupperware? Would you put it in the dishwasher? Never. Would you let the dog eat out of it? Never. Would you throw it on the floor? No, it never survived. But which has more value? One is weaker, the Ming vase. But which has much more value? One is irreplaceable. The other you can just go and get at the next Tupperware party. And he says here that in the context of that, husbands are to dwell with their wives with understanding. Because you and I as women many times try to manipulate and control to get things we need. Men do as well. But we tend to do that, especially without the touch of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But for husbands, many times, people, they can use them to get on with their agenda. And the primary thing is their agenda. And if you are convenient in that agenda, great. But if you're not convenient, we love you, but you're not convenient. And he is saying here, Husbands, you're to dwell with your wives, not according to your agenda, but with understanding, and you are to honor them. Do you know how radical that would have been in Peter's day when he wrote it? And you are to honor them as a Ming vase that is living in your door, in your home. You are to honor them, and that you are to be heirs, you are heirs together of the grace of life. And if you do not honor them and live together with them with understanding, their, your prayers will be hindered. 
And do you know, this is what I feel. This is just, this is just me. But do you know why I think their prayers are hindered? Because there's a little wife saying, Jesus, I just think this isn't quite right, and would you please do something about this? And that God is working as you and I bring our lives under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and begin to live in obedience to him and in a Calvary love relationship with, to our husbands and our children that out of that, God is hearing our prayers and God himself is working for you and he is working for me. And the unmet needs in your life and my life, he will begin to provide. And he will begin to move heaven and earth because he said, there is a woman who is willing to trust me even in the most intimate relationships, and she is not fighting for her own rights. She is willing to surrender her rights to me, and she is willing to do what is right and what is in the best interest of another, even her husband. Then he closes this chapter with some practicalities of what it means to walk with God. And I think they go into husband-wife relationships and then even farther. He says, be of one mind. Have compassion. And let's just prayerfully read these. Are we of one mind? Is there harmony in your home? Is there harmony in your relationship with your husband? Is there harmony in other relationships? Or are they broken? Now, you cannot decide for a husband or a friend. You can only put right your heart. You can only change you. And that is all God is asking you to do. Can you get an eye walk in obedience and change our hearts? That is all he is asking of us. So as much as is possible, are you and I one mind? Is there any hidden anger? Is there any rage? Is there any unforgiveness that needs the healing blood of Jesus on it? Do we have compassion? Is there sympathy in our hearts toward our husbands? Have we forgiven him for hurting us? Have we broken up and, and gotten rid of the black book? Have we let go the offenses or have we let it, left him 10 years ago and never let him get out of that mold? Do we love? Do we love as brothers? Do we love? Are we tender-hearted? Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave us. Are we courteous? Are we just polite to each other? Do we return evil for evil? Is there revenge in our heart? I'm not going to let him hurt me like that. I'm going to get back. Is there abusive language that has been said and abusive language that has been given back? Because none of those are how God wants us to respond. He wants to come in 
so that our response our responses are truthful but they are godly responses and they are commitment to do what is right and he says if you and I would have a happy life love life and see good days this is from Psalm 34 this is how we are to live we are to keep our tongue from evil do we run down our husbands do we run down our children do we run down our best friends do we run down our employees or employers what comes out of our mouth because that is what is in our heart are our lips speaking deceit do we say one thing but we mean another do we lead our family to believe one thing about us but the hidden person of our heart is much different we are to refrain from evil our lips are not to speak deceit what is said should be what is real we are to turn from evil any evil thing, any evil relationship, any evil thing we're watching, any evil thing we're reading, we are to get away from it as fast, as far as we can. We are to do good. Do you know how hard it is to do good when you're hurt with someone? It's hard. But do you know what the marital books say? It says, if you can begin to do good to the, and forgive and then to follow up, even if you don't feel it yet, by thinking of creative ways to love and to do good to the very people that have hurt you, God will begin to set you and I free in new ways. And it is not so much because they need it, it is because you and I need to be set free. Can he make us creative lovers out of obedience to Jesus Christ? Let him seek peace and pursue it. Are you and I seeking peace and then going after it? How can I make amends? How can I make this right? How can I ask for forgiveness? For the eyes of the Lord are on you and I the righteous and his ears are open to our prayers but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil if you and I begin to make a covenant with God in our hearts that Jesus I choose you and I will look to you to meet the needs of my heart and then I want you to take away the self-centeredness and total self-absorption at the deepest levels of who I am so that Jesus I can begin to use this marriage as an opportunity to love this one that you've given me as Jesus does and so that the unmet needs in his life I can begin to meet instead of thinking all the time about how come he's always failing to meet my needs? I'm just sick of it. I just deserve better than this. And God wants to sanctify our hearts. And if you and I get into that place where we begin to love Jesus and give to another in that dimension, what does it say? 
the eyes of Jesus himself were on you. <laughs> the eyes of Jesus himself were on me. And that when we cry out to him, he will hear our prayers. And he will work for us. He will work in dynamics and in ways that we would never believe were possible. This illustration is not an easy illustration. And it's one I took also from John Oswald. But I think I'm going to give it just as he gave it because it shows the tremendous dynamic of Jesus' power. But it doesn't always end up absolutely happy. John said that he was preaching and he was preaching to a small group of people and he, where he was preaching dealt with some of these issues. And he said while he was preaching he noticed the face of one of the women there. And he knew that he was in trouble. And he, afterward, the minute it was over, she came right up to him. And she said, are you telling me that I have got to love my husband? And he said, well, I'm not telling you you've got to do anything, but I'm telling you that I believe that Scripture teaches that there is grace, grace that Jesus can give you to love your husband no matter what. And she said, you don't know about my husband. She, he said, no, I don't. And so she began a litany of telling him and filling him in on her husband. And when she finished, John thought, boy, Lord, I, that would be a tough one. That would be a tough one. I'd be a tough one. And she turned to him again and she said, do you mean to tell me that I've, you're telling me I have got to love my husband even when he's like that? And he said, no, I am going to say it again. I am not telling you you've got to do anything, but I believe that Jesus died and he can meet the needs of your heart and he can so move you into a place of forgiveness that you can, he can love your husband through you. And it isn't contingent on your husband's responding to you or not. It is contingent on the nature of Jesus living in you. You know what is sweet? Remember God sends his rain on the evil and the good? Because God can't help it. <laughs> he is so good, it just falls on all of us. And I think that's what it's saying. It doesn't matter if the one we love responds back to us or not. Jesus can do something in our lives so we can love them whether they respond back to us and even receive us or not, we can still love them because that is the character and nature of God's love. He just loves us. He loves you and I when we're obedient and when we're in sin. He loves us when we love him and he loves us when we don't love him. He loves us because he is love. And he said, God can do that in your heart. So it is not contingent on his responsiveness to you. It is contingent on the love of Jesus in your heart. 
So she left. They prayed together and she left. He said five years later, he got across his seminary desk a letter. And he recognized the church and his thoughts even returned to that lady. And he said, I wonder what happened. And she said, do you know what happened? She said, dear Dr. Oswald, you'll never remember me. But he did. And he said, do you know? She said, I went home. And through much soul searching, God cleansed my heart of the rage, the bitterness, the anger against God and against my husband. And then I began to daily seek him for creative ways to be able to love him like Jesus did and to minister to his heart. And she said just recently he has died. And she said he was never able to respond back to me in the way that I longed for. But she said I had joy the whole five years and she said I have joy today because there are no regrets in my heart. I obeyed Jesus and Jesus used did something during those five years that made all the difference in my life and I don't have any regrets. I know I did what was right and I know that Jesus met me. And you know what I think Jesus is looking for? Some women that will begin to tunnel into the heart of God and places where our loved ones miss us begin to let them off the hook and begin to seek God's behalf in prayer and in love to be ministering angels and to be women that seek God first and then give to others and that we begin to know the joy and freedom of Calvary love lived out on a daily basis in truth. Now I don't know how to do it yet but I'm beginning to begin to begin and I believe there's a wider place for every single one of us and I believe it is what the women of the whole world need to hear that in Jesus Christ every need can be met and we can be free to love and minister and give and lay down our lives that Jesus' life might be birthed in our marriages, in our homes, in our families, in our friendships, in our workplaces, in Wilmore, and in the world. But once again, it comes down to submission. But much bigger issue than submission to an earthly husband. It is submission to a heavenly father who loves us and has our best interests at heart and he is willing to meet the needs of our lives if we will let him and bring them to him. The question is, will we? Will we? Or we will, will we continue to hold on to the anger, the rage, the malice, the abusive language, and say, I deserve better than this. And we don't. We deserve what only Jesus died to get, took our place. We deserve spiritual death. Jesus died to help us to live in a different dimension. 
Jesus wants to move in today, let's take a few minutes. And Susan's going to play. And I want us to make every seat a, a holy ground. Will you say, Jesus, what are you saying to me? And is there anything I need to hear? Is there any place I need his cleansing touch? And let Jesus begin to make us women of a white heart hot. Heart. White hot heart. That out of our lives, Calvary love can flow. That brings healing and wholeness. <laughs> 